0: From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Tim Descher, and this is Heritage Explains. We are all feeling the pressure of the economy. We keep saying it here. Things are bad. In fact, a recent Gallup poll shows that only 20% of Americans think the economy is good or excellent. That's 20%. That means 80% aren't necessarily happy. I wonder what President Biden thinks. Here he is over the last couple weeks.
1: we look at the economy today, it's clear we've made enormous strides. And uh, our plans and our policies have produced uh, the strongest job creation economy in modern times. When I came to office, we took a different approach across the board. With the American Rescue Plan and other actions, we uh, started to grow the economy from the bottom up and the middle out. And I see — and as I see it, everything — everything across the country is — as I go across the country, our economy is gone from being on the mend
0: to on the move. From being on the mend to on the move. Mm Mm-hmm. I guess if he keeps saying it, it's true. But not according to our checking accounts, Mr. President. In fact, it seems like the economy is getting worse each day. So let's get right to the truth. Let's paint a picture of where this economy is. Joel Griffith is a research fellow here at the Heritage Foundation. He's a frequent guest of Explains. You know him, you've heard him, and you know that he knows this economy inside and out. On this episode, he's gonna go through the three things we should do to get serious about inflation and the things we can do to make this economy better. I'm here, Joel's here, you're here, Next. Are you looking for quick conservative policy solutions to current issues? Sign up for Heritage's weekly newsletter, The Agenda. In The Agenda, you will learn what issues Heritage scholars on Capitol Hill are working on, what position conservatives are taking, and links to our in depth research. The Agenda also provides information on important events happening here at Heritage that you can watch online as well as media interviews from our experts. Sign up for The Agenda on Heritage.org today. Joel, in your recent piece, it's called Three Things Congress Can Do to Get Serious on Inflation. You say, quote, if Congress stops the federal spending spree, stops subsidizing the housing market and stops the war against workers and energy that's uh, not really an easy task there uh, but but anyway you say inflationary pressures will ease significantly and and i i want to reiterate that is a heavy load that we are carrying right now <laughs> It's
1: a very heavy load, and it's a load that, frankly, over the last few years, maybe in the last few decades, it's been both Republicans and Democrats that have seemed very reluctant, to put it generously, to actually address. And if you look at just that first component, that spending component, we went from spending about $4.8 trillion annually, which is a lot of money. That's a ton of money. That's that's about $50,000 per family of four per year. We went from spending that... To more than seven trillion dollars in 2021, Jeez. and pretty much
0: the entirety of that increase, nearly all of it, came from borrowing from the future or printing it. Yeah, we're just printing and moving decimal points on spreadsheets in the the Fed. You know, but but I do want to go line by line here. Uh, you know, prices, like you say, they're up big time in almost every area to track. So the simple question is. Are our wages increasing enough to pay for this increase in prices?
1: No, our wages are not keeping up with the increase in prices. Yeah. And that, of course, there's always an exception to the rule, but the majority of American families are finding that their grocery bills, their gas bills, their rental costs, everything is increasing. Sometimes at a multiple of what their wages are increasing at. I mean, if you look at just chicken or beef, or um, a mere toothpaste. All of this is increasing at double-digit annual rates. Yeah,
0: and and again, if uh, if money is more worth less, if there's more of it in the economy, it's worth less. And if uh, employers aren't increasing by enough to keep track with how much money is devalued right now, we're really in big trouble. And you, when you talk about that increase
1: in money. Um, Rather than talk about the billions and the trillions, we'll just go something very basic. Yeah. The overall money supply, the M2 money supply, has increased by about 50% (laughs) since the start of the pandemic.
0: Oh, my gosh. (laughs) <laughs> so, I mean, and, and again, this is just being I mean, are we seeing a bunch of, you know, dollar bills being shipped out kind of a thing and dumped into the economy, you know, like dumped over Texas? Or is this like, <laughs> you know, from a plane, they just dump money down? I mean, how is this how is this working? I mean, what is what is how are the mechanics of this working? Yet?
1: Well, we're increasing that money supply primarily digitally. Of course, yeah. hard currency is, is a part of it. Yeah. But the, the big increase here has been our central bank printing trillions of dollars digitally and then buying up government debt. The government then goes ahead and spends that money and the investors that sold their bonds to the government, they now have cash. And those investors took that cash and they bought stocks and they bought NFTs and they bought crypto. They bought a lot of assets with those funds And now we are feeling the impact of those rising prices.
0: So they they took that money and they put it into the market. And that's why we saw over the last, I don't know, few years, this incredible shoot in market. In in, in, you know, you look at the Dow Jones, it was constantly going up. And that wasn't because of the great economy. I mean, we were going through COVID. I mean, it was a huge uh, hit to our economy But you're saying that's because they just were injecting it into the market, basically.
1: A big part of it was the fact that investors had those those proceeds from selling the bonds. They had those proceeds in hand. But another part of this, Hmm. too, was the Fed keeping the interest rates artificially low. And if you want to buy stocks or if you want to trade on margin, which, in effect, borrows against your assets, Hmm. you were able to obtain a much lower interest rate than in years past to go ahead and borrow Hmm. money to put into the market. Right. And to give you an idea how big that uh, explosion in asset prices has been on the upside, even with the stock market correction that we have now, and I think if you've looked at your four hundred and one k, you're <laughs> probably not that happy. No. But the overall valuation of all the publicly traded companies in this country, it's still about twenty something percentage points higher than when COVID began, huh. and we got to ask ourselves. Does our economy feel, is it actually acting as if it's 20 something percent larger than it was before the shutdowns? And the answer anecdotally and the answer by the data is no, No. but somehow the market is still capitalized at 20% greater. Well, that's just another example of these policies inflating asset prices everybody loves feeling a little rich yeah. when these things are when these assets are increasing but it's really painful when it shrinks and it's not just painful emotionally it has an impact in the economy because then people start spending less because they realize that wealth was paper wealth
0: i was i was talking uh, with a friend the other day and i said hey look choices are going to be made eventually where people are going to either live the same way they've been living the last 5 10 years or they're going to and, and they're going to have way less money to do that or um, they're going to go into credit card debt. Or, you know, they're just going to have to stop living, a, you know, the life that they've been living and make serious decisions. Cool. And, and I think that that's happening right now. I think people are realizing how much this pinch is. So just go go into it a little bit. Talk about the pinch, but also talk about how much longer are we going to see this pinch? Yeah,
1: you know, I wish more politicians had the common sense economics that you just articulated. Because mm. if you look at the surge in consumer spending uh, during COVID and then following COVID. Uh, well, a lot of that was directly related to the fact that we had our federal government distributing generous unemployment benefits, mm. child tax credits. And, and in addition to that, uh, most of those who are listening received stimulus checks, sure. either electronically or actually in the mail, whether or not they needed the money. <laughs> so what we saw early on, we saw the savings rate increasing to generational highs. Uh, because there were a few places that you could actually spend yeah, the you money. you couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> but then as down. our politicians at last allowed us to return to freedom, yeah. individuals, families started spending down all those artificial savings from all that artificial income from the government. And we saw a surge in demand. We started seeing the surge in prices, and now we've seen something very troubling develop. We've seen the savings rate plunge as people have drawn down on those savings, and we've seen what you referenced. We've seen a surge in credit card debt Hmm. and credit card spending just in the past few months. Consumers are finding it necessary
0: to borrow from their future because now these
1: prices are so much higher
0: than their income. It's a humbling thing to change your lifestyle when you get used to living a certain way And then because of irresponsibility here in Washington, D.C., in large part, uh, you have to start making decisions that that make you not live a higher – uh, you know, level of life that you got used to living. So let's let's continue on this track. Let's go to um, another issue that you talk about in your piece. And it's housing. And Joel, this is so stinking important. I want to park here just for a second. Um, you know, I saw you know mortgage rates are at all time you know not all time highs, but highs that they've been in you know forty years. You know, rents are up. What just just give us a little bit a sense of what we are seeing when it comes to housing prices and that pinch.
1: Yeah, well, even before the pandemic, again, we saw a steady increase in home prices. It was already beginning to price some people out of the marketplace, even with interest rates low. But mm-hmm. for a time, very low, record low interest rates on mortgages. It masked this affordability problem. Mm-hmm. Right? Housing prices were hitting newer highs in some areas, but people weren't feeling the pinch so much because rates are so low. Right. Well, what we've seen over the last year as the market is trying to adjust with all this government intervention we have seen home prices continue to increase, and we've also seen mortgage rates increase. Not just in, – I want to say they actually – mortgage rates have doubled. They've gone from 2.6 to 5.2 in the course of Almost a year. Almost overnight,
0: yeah. I mean, it's crazy. So
1: what that means to the typical person, if you're looking to buy just a median-priced home, yeah. a mortgage payment on just a typical – Home To get into that house has increased more than 50% in the past year or so. Hmm. It is squeezing, not just squeezing the budgets of families, but it's actually making it difficult for many families to buy a first home or if they have a child or two to get a bigger home. It is
0: disastrous. Okay, let me just stop you there because you talk about the mortgage payment rates. Uh, And and you said in your piece, mortgage payment to income ratio. You can explain that. But it, but it hit 35% in February. That's the bleakest affordability since 2008. So that means what? 35% of people's income is being spent on housing right now. Not on the future, not on uh, building up the house and making it better, but the mortgage itself, 35% is going to that.
1: That's right. Just to get into a typical home, right? So if you make uh, $6,000 a month, yeah. well, you're looking at, um, you can expect to spend about $2,200 a month to get into That house, And what that also is meaning that a lot of people are finding that they're going to have to rent longer, but you're not necessarily getting off the hook by renting either. Mm. Rental prices in the middle of the country, not just in Miami and L.A. and New York and all the the, the big urban areas that people usually like to flock to. In the middle of the country, places like Missouri, in Ohio, these prices in many locales are increasing by 15 to 20 percent year Uh over year. And in a lot of cities is far worse and it's not uncommon to see 50 percent increases in rental costs just over the
0: past year let's move on to work and energy that's that's number three in your list and and when i hear work especially after the last couple years that we've had i think about uh generous unemployment uh, benefits that were given out to people who could be at work basically shutting down the economy keeping people at home not moving probably a big reason why we have supply chain crisis too. but let's just talk about work um you know we had the OSHA mandates with you know with vaccines uh mandates people worried about that people you know are you seeing people returning to work or are they still getting this unemployment benefits from covid stuff? Uh, give us a picture for what that looks like
1: yeah well uh, early on in the crisis um the big um, draw the the big drawdown on labor if you will was it were all the generous government benefits now. Yeah. Many of those now have subsided. We're not getting the extended unemployment benefits any longer. And we do see the labor force participation rate creep up. But it's still near generational lows. And if you look at the labor force participation, the percentage of the working age population that is either working or looking for work, we still have close to 2 million people that seem to have just disappeared out of the labor force. Wow. Wow. And uh, this Devastating. Uh, and, and this is a problem not just in that it it puts more pressure on businesses. It also means that there's a lot of people that aren't getting the work experience that they need to have, because often those are people without advanced education. They learn on the job. Yep. But it also means for all of us, it means that we have um, a far less quality when it comes to engaging with businesses. I think we've all experienced that, whether we're at a store purchasing something or at a bar, a restaurant, we've all noticed that service coming down. Yep. It's not just anecdotal. It's showing up in the data. Millions of people have disappeared have from disappeared. the labor force. And
0: then they hired people who aren't as qualified as they could could be. Not to say they couldn't be, but when you're thrown in a situation that you're not qualified for, you're basically set up for failure. And that seems to be what's happening here. Um, let's, let's talk just a little bit. This one, I think everybody feels, especially not living in a big major city, uh, which, is, which is energy. I mean, um, we always talk, and, and you and I have done episodes on the gas um, prices, um, home energy uh, costs, that kind of thing. They're just increasing like crazy. And my question more is, is, again, we're talking that we're going from being on the mend to on the move. Are you seeing positive steps in the right direction into fixing this energy crisis where we're paying so much more for gas and home energy costs?
1: We see right now our daily output of oil is about 10 percent or so less on a daily basis than it was prior to the pandemic. So we have a shrinking of supply. And a big part of that is that our companies, um, they're fearful of putting in investments to produce more, to explore more, because this current Biden administration, people high up have made it very clear that over the medium term, not just long term, over the medium term, they want to put these fossil fuel companies out of business. So if you're a company and you've got billions of dollars, you have to decide, do I invest this or return it to shareholders? If you think that this government is going to shut you down, you would be crazy to invest those dollars. And this administration, the rhetoric, it's not just the rhetoric that's an attack on energy. It's actually their actions. On day one, Mm. what did Biden do? killed the Keystone XL oil pipeline. Big signal. They've held up natural gas infrastructure developments, natural gas pipeline developments. Yeah. And on the day that gasoline <laughs> hit all-time record highs, the administration put a million acres off limits for the time being <laughs> in Alaska for future development. Wow. And the only bone yeah. that Biden has tossed us when it comes to supply is releasing nine days' worth of yeah. oil from the, From the strategic, strategic oil reserve, reserve, which is
0: just wow, yeah, My days worth. It's like a drop, a drop <laughs> in the bucket. Now, let me let me ask you something here because I want to I want to move to you know crit- less criticism and more proactivity, and and that is is let's say there's um, there's a change in guard. Let's say that that there's a policy shift here in D.C. in the coming year. What what is the first thing? that a different policy lens we would start seeing? What would be the first thing that you would suggest doing to getting to correcting the course here, to getting us back on the right track? We remember prosperity. Yeah. It wasn't that far away from us right now. So where do we get back to that? What's, what are some of the first steps? Maybe if there's a
1: change in guard with more fiscal conservatives in Congress, mm. perhaps they can stop these by. Partisan negotiations that end up resulting in more money printing and more borrowing. Yeah. Think of the trillion dollar plus package that was passed, not even what a year
0: ago. Yeah, I like to be clear here. This, it, you're you're so right. It's so important to point out this is a bipartisan problem. Yes. this spending, this these blank checks essentially, no budget, no discipline whatsoever. This is bipartisan. Well,
1: we sowed the initial seeds for this back in 2020 when we had. Uh, actually Republican president, and Mm. we controlled, uh, well, we we had more Republican seats in in the House, and we saw Mm. these spending bills passed with giant majorities. And people here at Heritage and elsewhere. Other economists as well warned that this was going to have negative consequences going forward and Congress still passed it. This was hmm. a bipartisan agreement to send stimulus checks to people to extend unemployment benefits. And it was a an administration that was actually Republican that put in place an eviction moratorium sure. that we also know was damaging. Yes. Now, I think that the current administration has made it far worse. They've doubled down on those mistakes and they've tried to make those mistakes permanent. Hmm. Where at least a year and a half ago, We saw the administration beginning to rein that in because I think people are beginning to recognize the the potential danger. This Mm -hmm. administration has doubled down, made it far worse. And there is no excuse at this point because we know that the pandemic has ended here.
0: Joel, you are just such a great resource here for us, for all of the folks listening at home or in their cars. I just wanted to thank you for stopping in here. You know, we do this a few times a year. We check in on what's happening in the economy and uh, and, and, and it's so beneficial to us. So thank you for tracking this and being with us this episode. Thank you, Tim. And just like our old friend Rush Limbaugh used to say, Joel is great at making the complex understandable. Thanks again for doing that episode for us, Joel. Now, if you want to read his piece, head over to the show notes. I'll also link to prior conversations where we've gone deeper on other aspects of the economy as well. We'll catch you next time.
1: Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero
0: and Tim Desher, with editing by John Pop.